Ron, what what are some of the biggest challenges you faced in the industry, and how did you overcome them? Uh, there's <laughs> never a shortage of challenges. Um, you know, it's uh, you know when I started at Catskin, it was it was make a product quick. Uh, we were you know for the longest time when I started, I mean probably the first decade, we budgeted our annual sales based on what we could make. Uh, and we were striving to become a 24 hour, you know, 24 to 48 hour turnaround on any custom interior you could want. Welcome to the Ride and Style Podcast, your turbocharged pit stop for automotive restyling. Buckle up with Jesse and Josh. Welcome to another episode of the Ride and Style podcast. We're already on episode nine, and today we have a guest. Woo! We have Ron Leslie, VP of Sales for Catskin. Hi, Ron. How are you today? I'm great, Jesse. Thanks for having Ronnie. me. Yeah, excellent. Thank you for Ronnie being baby. Here. Oh, Twenty-seven awesome. years in the business, Jesse. We got one of the legends with us. The leather. The le. le I'm a legend. Ron, what okay. nicknames do people have for you? I'm in in the business any i you know nicknames are funny because you know i have a rep who renames uh everybody in his uh -oh. phone by a different name and then they're not polite names and so worked for wabasto at one point and the next rep that got his phone got all these customer uh nicknames in there snake <laughs> slum you know slum war all these crazy things some i won't repeat just because I want to keep it pg um, and I keep joking with him, like one of these days when you're fired, I'm going to fire you just for it. I want to know what my nickname is because I don't know what it is. And uh, I'm sure I have one in his phone. I'm going to have to be there and take his phone away to find out. But uh, I don't know what leather nickname Leslie. I, have. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just lovable Leslie. Maybe that's whatever. That's what he he has. What he hopes all the resellers think. Right. So. Oh, I. We try to work hard for our customers. So. <laughs> and Ron, before we dive into everything, can you just give us a quick background on on who you are and, and what you're doing in the industry now? We'll go back in time and talk about the past in a minute. So, Well, it's pretty simple with me. I, um, uh, I'll start from the beginning. I grew up in a family business, uh, small business, so it kind of uh, was a good entree into working with restylers. I went to college, uh, got a degree uh, working with auto dealers out of Northwood University. Immediately went into the Sutter side of the business, uh, met restylers, and a few years later, I started the Catskin uh, and to do their marketing and branding and kind of get that started. I did that for the first couple of years. I took over the VP of sales uh, 21 years ago now, and I guess I reached my plateau um, because that's exactly what I've done for the last 21 years. Um, there was uh, nowhere else to go. No, I, it's truly, I just love it. But uh, my whole career has been cat skin either on the marketing side the oem side or the total sales side and then uh before that i was in the sunroof business a little time in oem with uh my previous employer asc uh actually was on the team that launched the first mobile video system for automotive uh at one point and uh so but no i'm i'm a i'm a restyler guy better restyler guy uh my whole career so it's been That's a really awesome. cool uh cool run Josh, how did you guys meet? How did oh, you Ron's meet? A, Ron's a legend. I, it probably was uh, what, you know what? I, the first recollection I remember is when you were hired from ASC. So this is 23 years ago. Uh, or or maybe when, 
you were promoted to like, not the national sales manager, back then you were like the marketing guy. Um, and Mitch introduced me to Mitch Katz, Katzkin, uh, the, the founder of Katzkin. And he said, this Ron guy, and, which Ron was about my age. So I was like, oh, cool. You guys got somebody, you know, not, not the Katzkin was old, but I mean, you just got, I just, I just knew him immediately. And then, and then I remember like a year later thinking, okay, I wonder, talking to a few peers and they're like, somebody said, well, that guy's really sharp. And so that was my first impression. I'm like, okay, well, I better trust what this guy says. So, and you know, we'll get into it, but yeah, Ron, don't let him kid you. He's, he's done a lot for this industry, a lot for the leather business, a lot for cat skin, a lot for restylers. Um, I do want to ask you, Ron, who you said you met restylers, who was the first restyler you met to understand what restyling was? Uh, the first restyler, uh, I don't know the first one I met or was. the first one it, that really it, made it an might impact have been on like you. Chuck Dick. The first one that made an impact on me. And the first one that was one of my regular customers when I started selling sundries was Ralph okay. George. And, uh, Ralph took me under his wings, um, and taught me so much, um, about the business. And the, the really cool thing, Ralph was already established by that point and was, he was the largest restyler in the country or the largest single point at that yeah. point. And he was incredibly successful. He'd been successful for a couple of decades at that point already. He started in the early eighties and he was still going out three to four days a week, seeing dealers. He was still taking me to the dealers, teaching me the way he sold. And it was so enlightening. Um, cause he was, you know, one of the cool things about selling the car dealers is, you know, you, you keep your spirit up, you get. You know, you get pumped up, you go in, you have that great energy and all the good salespeople do that. And Ralph was amazing. You know, forever he was doing that. And he taught me a lot. Um, taught me a, he taught me a ton about, uh, doing things right. Um, standing behind your product, uh, motivation, he, excitement. He, he was he great. Totally. He was the first business. one. I mean, he, Hey, we're talking about, so he has a shop called, now it's called SAT specialty auto treatments. They're down in Fort Lauderdale. Um, now Ralph sadly passed away. About, uh, what, 2017, 2018? I can't remember exactly. And then uh, he also yeah, uh, won Lifetime Achievement Award. And his son, Ralph uh, Jr. and uh, Christina, you know, run the business now. Christina's over in Germany, but she's coming back. Uh, but, yeah, awesome, awesome growth. I mean, we're talking about now, talk about leather. I mean, we're not giving a giveaway secrets, but I remember one time being there and UPS pulled off pulled out a pulled or dropped off uh, some leather kits. The whole truck was leather kits. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. <laughs> this guy does some leather. <laughs> no, he, he's awesome. I mean, they were rolling 50 kits a day there for the longest time. It's, uh, it's awesome. I had a lot of cool customers at the beginning. A lot of them are, you know, kind of said my age, they're not necessarily here. All of them anymore, but like Jack Cole was a trick Brothers, um, yeah. out of Nashville. He, yeah, from Cole Brothers and that Jack was so much fun. Um, because Jack liked nothing more than to work hard all day and party all night. Um, and uh, so you know, I was in my 20s and you know, living in Atlanta at the time. And um, Jack would call me with ideas, no doubt. Like Sunday morning at 2 a.m., my phone would be going off, and about answer, and I answered it most of the time because that's I still do that, but um, he'd call me, I got this great idea, you gotta be up here Monday morning, we're gonna go to the dealers and we're gonna do this. And I was like, All right, Jack, I'll, I'll leave my house at five, I'll be there at eight. <laughs> and I was like, 
Wow. Like, a lot of fun. But, I mean, that's restyling. I mean, you come up with creative ways to uh, help the dealers sell more cars and you I, go out and do it. So. Are most restylers alike? Are they all different? I mean, or would you categorize them? Like, with you, when you meet with your sales staff, do you go, okay, this is an A type restyler, this is a B type, this is a level one, level two? I mean, how do you guys differentiate restylers? Um, we, you have differentiations yeah, sure. based on volume. So you have some restylers that are, um, still learning the business and can only get so much product through. So you've got developmental restylers that you're focusing more technical resources toward because they really need installation help, training help, business organizational help. And, uh, you know, cause if you're running a four man, five man shop, you, you don't have a salesperson. Um, so how does the owner organize his day to get out and do things? Um, and those customers are critically important. I mean, they, they grow, they become the future, um, of the business, but then you've got your larger customers who need, um, who need more focus, um, on our product because they get bigger and they have a lot of products they may be offering. So how do we, uh, we're fighting for our mind share. I mean, we want you to sell weather and heaters and coolers. 24 seven, but you know, you're selling tin and truck lifts and wheels and X, Y, Z accessories. So, uh, so I guess we, you know, we don't categorize them differently, but the way the sales team handles them, uh, they may be providing different assets and different resources to different people based on, you know, where they're at in their business development. Hey, Ron, what, what are some of the biggest challenges you faced in the industry and how did you overcome them? Uh, there's never a shortage of challenges. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, when I started at Catskin, it was, it was making product quick. Uh, we were, you know, for the longest time when I started, I mean, probably the first decade, we budgeted our annual sales based on what we could make. Uh, and we were striving to become a 24 hour, you know, 24 to 48 hour turnaround on any custom interior you could want, uh, which is really I mean, it was really a heavy lift because, you know, we built the business into delivering product in 24 to 48 hours, 3000 patterns, hundred plus colors, design it any way you want, you know, put Bubba on the driver's seat and Bobby Sue on the passenger seat, do whatever you want to the seat and order it on Monday and we'll ship it to, we'll ship it on Tuesday. Um, and so building that kind of system took us a lot of production, um, expertise and really created a unique advantage for Catskin. And it was one of the ways we went from being a small company in the industry fighting for, you know, 10% market share to a much larger part of the business was to be creative and be fast. Um, because one thing we learned and we're really committed to in this business, uh, when a restyler calls in an order, he's late before he got the order. Um, you know, the dealer wants that car back, wants to close that sale, wants to make that delivery. Um, and so we evolved the business into that. That was a big challenge was having more capacity than we needed and then managing to it, um, for a business that would work and then building up the infrastructure of warehouses all over the country, stocking 600, you know, factory style SKUs and all that. That was a, that was a heavy lift. It, it was, in fact, in then, fact, it was so um, good. They did such a good job, Jesse, that all of a sudden us restylers, we get a call from our dealership says, Hey, I have a truck here. I need leather. It's Monday. All right. All right. We'll have it done by Wednesday because we'll have it Tuesday. We'll do it Wednesday. And then all of a sudden COVID hit comes 
And then all of a sudden, Catskin has some, uh, you know, a little maybe supply change. I'll let him talk about, but it, it jumped to two weeks. And these dealers are like, what do you mean it's going to take two weeks? Yeah. I'm like, well, everything in the world takes two weeks right now. Now, the good thing is Catskin's come back, and now we can have it again fast, but we don't promise our dealers it's fast. We haven't come all the way back. So we still give us a little bit of buffer time. So, but what what were the challenges during COVID with supply chains? What, why did it take? Oh, what wasn't the challenge? Yeah. Yeah. What wasn't the challenge during COVID, right? But, uh, well, I mean, the the first challenge was right out of the gate, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you got into it like in 2020, you get March. And so we've got three manufacturing facilities. We've got the one in Los Angeles. We got one in just south of there over the Mexican border. And we got one in uh, Malaysia. And so when COVID hit, um, California, of course, was on the leading edge of uh, shutdown and control and all that stuff. So we have this day that comes up in, it was a February or March of 20, something like that. And they're like, okay, LA is going to have to close. All businesses close. We're like, oh, no, no, <laughs> we got stuff to do. But they're like, no, no, on Monday, we were on like on a Friday. Like Monday, nobody's going to be able to answer the phone. Nobody's going to be able to come to the office. Nobody's going to be able to do this. So literally, I mean, the team at Catskin, there are so many amazing people there. Um, so like at Friday, we're talking about this. We're going through all these things. Our receptionist, we're figuring out how to unwire our switchboard for the entire factory. And then we go, we take our entire IT team to her house and set it up at her kitchen table so that Monday morning at 6 a.m. when restylers try to call, we'll be able to take the call. We don't know how, how we're going to make anything. Well, we got a plant in Mexico that's not closed down right now. So we're going to figure it out. Um, and, and we ship product. Every day, we never closed. We never closed one minute of one day through the entire run of COVID. Now the plant in California closed, but we shipped out of uh, Mexico or we shipped out of uh, Malaysia. We had to figure out how to do a direct ship out of Malaysia when Mexico got closed down, but then Jeez. California was back up. And then, and then all the yeah. supply logistics. I mean, there was, there was a run for six months. I'm not kidding you. We were managing supply, trying to get stuff in because you're getting short shipped, not shipped. Stuff wasn't getting across where we we didn't know at 4 p.m. one day if we were going to be able to make kits the next day because we didn't have airbag fabric. And every interior we make has airbag fabric on the scene. You, you can't make anything without airbag fabric. Um, but our airbag fabric supplier short shipped us. And we had to find, and it's not like you could just go down to the Local I think they, I think they do have buy, a CVS. You, know, enough. you just got to go in the back cabinet. It's the, it's called airbag <laughs> supply. <laughs> yeah. Or a breakaway yeah. thread or black leather. I mean, they, did, they ran was. out of black. I, mean, it was, I was like, what well, color are you guys out of? He said, we're out of black. I'm like, how are you out of black leather? You could, wait, you could send me <laughs> sunrise yellow, but you don't have black? <laughs> sure, I you thought you not run out of black. <laughs> No, we never ran out of black. Oh, okay. We came within a day of it. Um, but uh, but no, it was um, it, it was a challenge. And it, I, I look. I mean, it, it sounds a little company centric to say everybody's great. It's it's a phenomenal group of people that are really dedicated to customers in the business. There's a really good customer focus. Um, we've always been kind of known for a few things, and one of them is really good customer service. Um. And we, we really invest in customer service. 
uh, like Josh should attest to this, um, it's all the companies you deal with when there's a problem and there's going to be problems the parts made wrong, or they rip it when they're installing it or something happens. We make parts same day, um, all the way up until like 2 PM Eastern. Uh, Josh can be doing an install at 1 PM. He's like, oh shoot, I got this car is disassembled. It's got to go back to the dealer. The headrest ripped when we were putting it on. He calls us at like one o'clock. I'm like, okay, it'll be there in the morning. Um, so, I mean, we, and we have to make that part, however it was red with, you know, Billy Bob written on it. Um, he's still going to get it tomorrow morning uh, to, uh, to do that. And that's a huge focus of the company. That new we have a fun group of sales guys who uh, like to have a good time and go out and see car dealers. So, um, you know, that's uh, kind of what we, a good product. I mean, I've been really blessed. I, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of grown up here. I started, I was in my twenties. Now I'm in my fifties, but uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a really fun, uh, really fun product to sell. And, uh, you know, it's all about the people you work with. You spend half your life with them. So, um, you know, you gotta have fun. Hey, Ron, how has the industry changed since you first got involved and, and wh where do you see it heading in the future? You know, there's certainly a, a lot of change in the industry. I mean, when I first started at Catskin, our number one selling vehicle was a Grand Marquis. Um, with, uh, yeah, uh, with, it was, the, it was a GS model, in, by the way. <laughs> gathered inserts and piping and all the restylers were putting simulated yeah, convertible baby. tops Loved on it. them. Okay. Marquis um, classic, I called it. <laughs> I remember early on in the business, like, 20 years ago now, and this is, this will be funny for restylers that are entered the business in the last 15 years. I used to beg restylers, um, all the time. We got to go after the truck market. We've got to go after the truck market. There's no leather on these trucks. They sell a lot of trucks. Oh, they're all commercial. No, no, people <laughs> drive trucks and you know, we, we can do trucks and restylers were so disinterested in trucks. So over 20 years ago, it was like, no, no, that's for the truck cap guys. Yeah, they, they, the they, that's what the truck market wants. I'm like, oh, yeah, we, we do Honda Odysseys and Toyota Camrys and Grand Marquis. No, no, trucks are going to be big guys. We, we got a big operator. And now the, now my top 10 yeah. models all have a truck bed. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, but no, I mean, so, you know, talk about a shift, um, you know, from now cars are basically an appliance yeah, for yeah. not all cars, but. The mass market cars are mainly used as an appliance. You know, some, they just want them to get back and forth to work. And so we could still sell those for an economic angle for the person that wants to have the ease of weather and the luxury of weather, but doesn't want to pay for a $7,000 package. You know, that's, you know, that's still there, but the real, the real market is in the trucks and the SUVs and he, the style. Besides trucks, take trucks out of it now. Over it. Think about it. For the last 23 years, you've okay. been a Catskin. The number one vehicle, would it be a Camry? Just, I mean, just overall volume? Outside of trucks, probably oh, because Camry was Cam so oh, dominant. Jesse, it was uh, just a line of Camrys that we used to do. Just a line of Camrys. And, and it was great about it. It only came in two colors. You either got gray or tan. Yeah. And so you, which, what color is your car? Gray. And you didn't have a bunch of models, you know, for the longest time. And then eventually it got weird and they had a weird VIN number where it was a bill. We had to send you the right kit. But for the longest time, it was just Camrys. Because then you could also do power sunroofs and leather in a Camry. Home run. Oh, love Camrys. 
Yeah, Cam Camrys were were awesome for the longest time, and uh, it, it probably was. I'm I'm trying to think. We did a lot of Honda Odysseys for yeah. around there. There was years where Honda Odysseys huge, uh, but no, it's probably Cam. It's probably Camry. I mean, it's yeah, definitely now, trucks now overall trucks, at this point. Cars, oh, Mark. Ron, I want to I want to ask you know uh, over at SEMA, uh, uh, the the our friend that we affectionately call Gandalf, the wizard, uh, who does all of the the uh, studies and um, that puts out the SEMA reports. He you know trucks has dominated and they're but they're actually predicting the CUV in general as being the next big thing because of the number of of them on the road. So I'm yeah. wondering if you are you guys are already kind of seeing that at all with with leather installs. Um, certainly, I mean, we have a, a a pretty big diversity, and you know, we make it for everything. Anything that has you know cloth or synthetics or things like that, we're going to pattern it so that the uh, dealers and our customers can upgrade it. Um, the uh, the the CUV market, if you consider like a Rav Four or a CRV to be in that market, um, definitely um, among among the best sellers there are. Those customers want that luxury. But our market is created by being able to do what the factory wishes they could do. You know, it's it's great customization, great personalization on the interior, and then there's the economic angle. We still got to fit an economic an economic angle that makes sense. So if the CUVs are offering uh, a premium leather on the lower trim lines, then it becomes less attractive for our product. But what's really really cool is used cars have gotten so expensive that they've went from an afterthought in our business to over yeah. a third of the business. And um, I mean, that's been the huge part of the huge ride over the past few years, really, as the cost of a used car doubled. I mean, literally doubled over the past four to five years. Uh, it's particularly for a late model used. Uh, you know, they used to be 20, now they're 40. And on a $40,000 vehicle, you can start to really make sense of putting a couple thousand dollars into the interior, doing some accessorization, some restyling, and making it special. When it was a $20,000 vehicle, I mean, you're really bumping up against what can the buyer afford um, on that vehicle. Now, there's still buyers that want to personalize and make things cool and all that, but um, but used cars are are probably more excited about them than even that CUV segment. Mm. Um, and but I mean, they'll create dysfunctional economics on some of them, and it'll be a huge win for the for the aftermarket, um, leather and other items. Because I mean, I'm hearing from the OEMs right now a lot of decontenting on the lower and mid trim lines, um, and a lot more, a lot less packages, so that they can simplify production, especially with the domestics. They need to simplify their manufacturing to. Uh, maximize their output. Uh, now their cost factors have gone up because of some stuff with UAW contracts and different things. They really need to be efficient. That efficiency is going to limit options um, for vehicle trim line packages. And it's just great for the restylers. I mean, it, and leather will be one thing, but I mean, it'll be everything. It'll be blind spot and back up and all the other items that they had for dealers. That, that word that you used, I think you said decontenting. Is that the is that the word? Can you explain that to uh, beginners or people that are not as savvy? Yeah, for sure. Um, and so it's 
you know, if you go to try to buy a vehicle right now on some of the trucks or um, off-road vehicle trim lines like the Wranglers and the Broncos, they may literally have 15 different option packages as base packages. And then you can add or subtract any of hundreds of different options on your original equipment vehicle. Um, for the OEMs, that is very, very difficult on their production assembly line process to be able to build that. And it, it kind of just builds over time and keep, turns into this huge animal that they can't manage. And, and so then they say, okay, look, we're not doing 12 trim lines anymore and add any of a hundred accessories. We're going to three trim lines. We're going to a base and a middle and a high, and we'll give you three options on each. And, and that's, that's the way our cars are going to be positioned and we're going to be more efficient. They may be able to make their cars for less money, or they may be able to make more profit by doing it that way. And so it all works out for them. But what that does for us is huge. I mean, that was the Camry thing, right? The Camry had app didn't have options yeah. for the longest time. They had an LE and an SE and an XLE. And if you wanted leather, you had to buy the XLE and the LE and SE didn't have it. There was no way to get it. And so, uh, you know, that, that's the bones of the business. The more, the more complex the OEMs are willing to make their platforms and trim lines, the more it can make it difficult for them to uh, to be able to offer, I'll get, you know, going along with that, Jesse, just, you know, when you, when you talk about decontenting, you know, one thing that was, uh, you know, keyless entry is one of those things. So for instance, you pull out your keys and you have a little lock and an unlock button, right? In fact, almost every car now has that. However, during 0809, when that, when that whole, you know, when the great recession took place, manufacturers start decontenting that option and some other options similar. So now you would get a brand new car, Corolla, let's say. It would have power locks, but it not would not have that keyless entry. It would just be a normal key. And they would do they would decontent different items on the vehicles to make them a little bit less money so that people could afford them. Well, all of a sudden our business, they're you know, customers get used to something and they're like, Whoa, how in the world can I get by without keyless entry? <laughs> so, you know, it, that's what happens is sometimes like Ron says, these animals, they, these manufacturers have become monsters in what they're offering and they have to go back and start decontenting just to put it back into the back online and back on track. And then we pick up any of the uh, scraps that are left over. So their streamlining and yeah. simplification, which is for their own sure. economics, actually yeah. benefits us. Because every time they remove an option, then it's an opportunity. Yeah, I mean, just for think about when they start when they start decontenting remote yeah. starts and saying, "Ah, oh, you know what? We're not going to put that on that model anymore." Everybody who gets that car who's used to that now they need that remote start, heated seats, leather, you know, everything. So yeah, it's 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 going to be really good actually for the next few years. Uh, I think I'm agree. I agree with Ron. I've heard that same thing. They're going to cut a lot of packages out, and we're going to have a lot of opportunities, some open gaps. Now, I want to tell you something about Ron. Ron comes up with a lot of words, and he may have created decontenting. I don't know. But let me tell you another <laughs> word he came up with that Jesse is absolutely in love with. So Jesse loves me only through Ron, and here's why. I'm the one that enlightened Jesse and his team into trim-level economics. Now, Ron is the Ooh, originator, yes. the grandfather, the godfather of trim level economics. So I'll let him explain what that means, but Jesse just fell in love with that and the whole thing about it. I'm and Ron just here is the one who that, you know, I'm going to, I'm giving him all the credit. It was probably his wife, but I'm, I, it's, you know, 
Tell us about that, Ron. I'm enamored. So, this is great. I, I got to tell you this. So, Trimley, you're right. I When I first started in this business as an intern at ASC, I wasn't even out of college yet. A guy named Leo Zandi, who I think you know, you've met before, Josh, um, used to run ASC Sunders. And so I was this intern green kid coming in and, and said, I, and what are you going to do for the summer? He says, I want you to go through this auto black book manual and go through every vehicle made and determine the trim level walks for sunroofs between every trim line that there is. And so, you know, I turned out this 150 page report at the end that had all the trim level economics and walks for sunroofs when I, when I first started at ASC. So what it is basically, it's the non-sexy way to sell. So I'm not good looking, right? Um, if I was running a restyle, hire good looking girls, because that, that's a good benefit. But I'm not good looking, so I kind of know what I'm talking about. So for me, it's trim level economics. You go in there and you say, okay, the difference between an LE model and an XLE model with the weather equipment, you know, what I live, is $9,000. If you want to get weather on an L, you want to get weather on this model, uh, an F-150, before you can get an F-150 with weather, you've got to step up $9,000 from the base. It creates that walk. So the guy that walks in to buy an F-150 that has a dirty job and doesn't want a cloth interior, uh, but just wants a four by four truck um, with seats that aren't going to look like garbage in 30 minutes, um, he's got to spend $9,000 more. That's the whole economic angle of our business. Like Restyler can offer a package to the dealer that he can make a profit on and sell to the guy for 2000 bucks. And he doesn't get a walk to $9,000 and he gets the car he wants for $7,000 less than the OEM packages would allow. I mean, that's the economics of our business. And almost every model has just really good economic angles for doing what they're doing. And sometimes they're over $20,000 before you can step into a model that has the weather equipment on it. Um, it's, and it's and a win, so, win, yeah, win, win for the uh, customer because they're not paying so much. Win for the dealership. They're selling the car they want to get rid of on the lot and making money, making more money. And win for the restyler. Win for the camp manufacturer. Win for the government because they collect taxes on all. You four. know, <laughs> I uh, I had my 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 uncle visited me briefly to say Merry Christmas, and he was asking about this. And I actually I didn't explain it as well as you did, Ron. But the 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 term walk value sounded so cool. And I didn't know. So I said, you know what? Like if you're at the dealership and he says, well, let's mm -hmm. walk over here to this higher, better, yeah. this more expensive model. And I didn't know if it was figurative or literal. So I thought, well, maybe it's both. So you literally have to walk over to the other car that or the other truck or whatever. And so that and he got it immediately. And I said, yeah, and that's what a restyler does. They help get what you want and personalize without having to walk over. I to just the thought more expensive that model. that's exactly that what it is. I just assessment? thought of something for your next podcast. When you do training for us, Ron. Have a little, you know, I mean, Miles can do this in a, in a second. Have a little guy, right? And say, okay, now let's look at Bronco. What's the walk? And have a little guy walk from the base big bed and he walks over to the whatever and says, okay, the walk is $4,000. And then he runs to the next one because it's only $2,000 or whatever. But that's exactly what it is, Jesse. <laughs> it's the walk from trim level to trim level to trim level because you used to do that. Now, in the old days, it was, oh, you can't afford this. Let's just keep, let's walk backwards. <laughs> so the other thing. Well, you walk yeah. back, right? I mean, you get the people who want to get the Denali, but they come in with the budget of a, an SL or whatever, LT. And so, you know, they, 
they walk them back down. But, you know, some of those things that they really wanted on the Denali, they can they can keep them for them on yeah. the LT if they're so working. So tell, the right tell us about your uh, the your new initiative of how you're training restylers. I just love it. And I think it's a great way to to get the information out there that we can rewatch. Tell us about that. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, we first of all, we have a great sales team. All right. We have uh, I have a sales team of 15 people that are constantly working with our customers, providing um, support and uh, selling tips and tools. And we've got a monthly newsletter and we've got uh, we've got a weekly uh, restyler focused letter that goes out. We got pattern releases. But I wanted to do something that would be received a little better. So I started doing some videos that were short, um, under 10 minutes. I was shooting for five and I realized I can't talk in five minute increments. I, 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 I budget them yeah, for five fine. and they go 10. I, I have not uh, come good enough to, to keep them under 10 but, or keep them, uh, keep them under five. But the, the idea was to have two or three things that would shoot out every week or two to re, to restylers. It would give them a, uh, some of the economic information about some of the new cars, give them a sales tip or two that may be working in the field. Like the 24 Mustang came out on the last one. And I, so I told restylers, you know, look, a lot of dealers stock Roush and Shelby packages and these $30,000 packages out there. Those packages won't be out for six to 12 months. So go to your dealers and put together some packages to fill that profit gap for them. So stuff like that, that you're not going to put in a typical new product release for a 24 Mustang. And then I try to cover uh, one or two dealer objections and, and then try to get done in under 10 minutes. Um, but for the, we have really good response. I was so, it was so cool. I started running them in, and they're getting watched by like 80% of the people that are seeing it. And like 60% of the people are staying for the whole time. And so I'm looking at my Google analytics on it and I had to figure out how to do this. I'd never done any type of video casting. I'm still probably doing it in a real antiquated way, but um, I'm, I'm making a PowerPoint deck and reading through it basically, but it works, but it was a video. So I was getting, you know, six, eight, 10 minutes um, from a couple hundred restyler salespeople out there. And, um, yeah. and then I got great feedback. They were like, yeah, give me more, give me more. I, videos are good. I don't want to yeah. read an email. Well, and, and listen, the emails are nice, video. but what we did. So what I did is I got this and I said, this is great. So I immediately, have, and my reps get it too, because they're on the email blast, but I forged him. I said, Hey, watch this before our next, we, we meet once a week for a sales meeting. So not only did they watch it ahead of time, but then we watched it together at the sales meeting because it's only 10 minutes. And I, you know, I got them for an hour. So I'm like, I'm going to take 10 minutes because what happened is they caught one thing that they wanted to focus on in the first time they watched it. But then they caught a second thing when we watched it together and we mm -hmm. discussed it. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, it's a great tool. I love that you do it. And, you know, I, I agree with you. Don't do it too often, though, so that people go, oh, I'll just catch the next one. But often enough where it's relevant, it's, it's a great tool. And Jesse's the marketing genius. Uh, Jesse, what do you think? What could he? What? How could he do it better? I, I think it's. I think it's awesome. I think it's fantastic, and I I think a big thing nowadays is to make sure that that all this content is is, uh, people learn in different ways, and so it's great if you have multimedia, multi-step, multi-channel kinds of marketing pieces where someone who wants the video great, maybe that same video content could be turned into a written version. You know, you can transcribe those videos and then and then have them edited into blogs or or you know some people want to read. Some people want to watch. Some people want to listen, right? So I, I love it. And I was going to lead me to my next question, Ron, which is obviously you've talked about customer service focus. You guys have that. 
And now I'm hearing that you do a good job of the education. What else makes Catskin unique, um, in, especially toward restylers? Um, but what makes you guys unique and what sets you apart from, from the, uh, the competition? Uh, great product. Um, you know, we, we have some advantages that would be very hard for our competitors to uh, try to compete with from product quality and safety standards and things like that. I mean, we're also an OEM supplier. You know, we're, we're a supplier to Stellantis, supplier to Ford. Um, we do, we do airbag testing OEM, but more than airbag testing, we do full seat validation testing with the OEM. We have, we have just so much more res in the resource bucket than what anybody else could have there. But we also have a lot more fast, creative customization capability. I mean, we just can turn stuff around really quick at Catskin. So, you know, we come up with an idea and we try to launch in no less than a week. Uh, we'll, we'll come up with stuff. Uh, we want to do an American flag edition uh, perforated into the inserts and we want to launch it for 4th of July. Boom, we're out there. We, we rock and we roll. We try to do it. Um, so we try to do things really fast and we're trying to be very creative. Um, and then we have a, we also have to manage a huge, um, a huge inventory of, uh, warehouses around the country that allow the restylers to turn around the product in 24 hours. We still think that fast 24 hour turnaround is critical, um, is critical it, this business. It's amazing. You would think a car purchase is something that people are willing to wait. And it's this idealistic thing like. Yeah, they're going to go in and they're going to order their car and they're going to wait 10 weeks and they're going to get, that's not the way the car business works in the United States or Canada. Um, people, people, it's a, it's a process. They want to take delivery now. So the fast turnaround, the great product, the safety, great service, um, just always trying to try and do And I think listening, um, listening is something that's really, really hard for a manufacturer. Um, you got to be listening to your customers. If you do, you'll be very successful, uh, because your customers will tell you what you need to do. And they'll, and you're also able to implement the feedback they give you, which makes you better. Um, that's, uh, that's critically important and it, it may seem simple. It's really hard to do. Um, and we try to do a good job of it. Um, always try to do better. So are you guys trying to expand? Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if you want to talk about acquisitions or anything like that, but the company is really Wait, expanding it's been announced. quite a bit now, right? It's you know, it's great. So let's talk <laughs> about it. I mean, yeah. let's be honest here. Let's, if I'm a if I'm a manufacturer, my competition, they're a thorn in my side. You know, so what do you do? You pull out the thorn, and then you go, okay, I'm going to buy you. So uh, you know, that's what. So tell us about that, Ron. I mean. I know you've been working on it for six years, but no, <laughs> 23 years. Oh, you know what? Well, I mean, yeah, we, we acquired a competitor, uh, not to be named, uh, but they, uh, it was the right time. You know, we needed to expand our uh, production footprint. We, we got a new, an additional plant out of it. We got um, some patterns that we didn't have for allowed us to expand back into the older models, uh, which we were getting more and more demand for because we've been investing millions of dollars into retail awareness of our product. So we're getting more demand for some of the, the backdated patterns and stuff. Some we might not have had. And, you know, for us, it was just really about doing the right thing for the business. We had been making all these investments to build a profitable business model for our customers and for the dealers and something that would really work 
uh, for the entire business. And so if somebody's not making that investment and they're just riding on the coattails of it, um, it would be a shame to see them be very successful discounting something. So there was there was definitely some advantage there, but it was just about doing the right thing uh, for the business. And uh, the time was right. So um, we we acquired their assets and uh, and it's been great. I mean, it's it's uh, we've been able to transition their business, uh, bring the quality level up to Catskin standards and introduce new patterns and uh, and grow our bandwidth so that we can provide more inventory. One thing, Jesse, that uh, is just amazing. What people still don't realize is if you go tour one of their factories, which I've been to, I've been to, I haven't been to Malaysia factory, but I've been to the uh, one in Mexico and one in, uh, in Montebello. And it's amazing when you walk in, first of all, you see, you do see this, um, you know, huge, like million dollar machine that's cutting the actual patterns out that have to be sewn eventually. But then, so you see the technology and you see the computer and, and you know, let's say it's going to make an F-150 pattern. It lays out the co color and it figures out exactly how to do it without any waste and all that. And then those pieces get piled and they get sent to an actual sewer that has a sewing machine. And the guy or gal just sits there and they sew it. So it's like it's handmade custom still. And it's not all just computer, you know, technology, robots or anything like that. So... I mean, as cool, uh, I mean, yeah, you can get some mistakes, but you can get mistakes with robots. So to have somebody actually hand touch it and make it knowing that, man, somebody actually spent some good amount of time. And then to meet the deadlines that he's talking about is it's it's very impressive when you go. It's called a Versalis that uh, we have several of these uh, multi-million dollar machines that it, it's they are amazing pieces yeah. of equipment. So a, a leather hide is not a perfect um, uh, canvas to work with. This is coming off of a cow, um, and our product is very natural. Um, we don't sandblast our material. We, we go for a really nice hand, soft touch. So you can't just blast it off and emboss the grain on the To get that, you got to use the full grain, top coat, leather. So when you lay that hide out, it has to be scanned. And then you have to identify all the imperfections. Then you've got to nest 200 pieces that are all different pieces to make up this leather. Actually, on a, on a, a ram truck right now, it's like 387 pieces have to, have to be nested um, into, the, into these hides and vinyl that are going to make up the interior. Then you've got to cut the foam. Then you've got to combine all this stuff um, in any of 100 colors. Then, you know, you got to go through the whole manufacturing process, airbag sewing, all the clips and J zippers and snaps and bar everything that goes. Then you got to box up and you've, and you've got 24 hours to get this done 500 times. Um, and it's, it's really, really, um, it, it's, it, look, I mean, it's a very, very intense business. Um, we built an incredible, so Josh will tell you this. You can literally call Caskin and say, okay, I want a kit that's red with black inserts. And I want it for a Chevy Silverado uh, with a solid rear seat and call her. They go, you go pick up the car and you call us back like 30 minutes later. And you say, well, I'm sorry, the back seat's not solid. It's six hours. Yeah. You've already <laughs> cut it. Um, I th I'm going to call BS on that. I bet he's just charging me twice. Uh, no, he probably, they, they do. You, 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 
you better make sure your first when you order it online or you call them, you better make sure you know because it's already on its way. It's already on the UPS truck. Yeah, yeah. there's just no way yeah. to do it unless you're rolling. I mean, it's. Uh... Uh, I loved the 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 um, Jeep that you guys had at SEMA, the one from Jurassic Park. Yeah. Uh, that design, yeah. it was so beautifully done. I took pictures of it. I I really loved that thing. Um. I'm sure you've seen other, like you guys have done some special projects or maybe memorable projects. Is there anything that comes to mind that you would, you could share anything that was sort of special or different? Oh, we've done so many, so many memorable projects over the years. And so, I mean, everything from, you know, working with superstars like Shaq back in the old days and the Beach Boys on, uh, on additions to the stuff we've done with Carol Shelby. Chip Foods. And, you know, Jack Routes on chip foos the stuff we did with foos um the you know we've got so many great things and we're just trying to keep keep growing it and taking it i mean um at sema this year we launched an edition with steve mcqueen's son um on a mcqueen truck that's gonna that's being built they sold them out um and a couple hundred of them or something like that and you know i'll tell you what one we did recently that was super super cool i loved this so we did, um, we have a company that does conversion builds that we work with, um, does a lot of trucks. Um, there's this event in the California desert called the King of Hammers, where it's like for the ATV and serious off-roaders, they try to climb this King of Hammers trail and being able to make the trail is like a real badge of, you know, you've got something, right? It's, it's you know, climbing up rock walls, all kinds of crazy stuff. They got this really wild trail. So they wanted to do a special edition Bronco for the King of Hammers. And they were getting the right suspension and tires and trucks and build a few hundred of these, uh, you know, making a King of Hammers edition. What are you going to do on the interior for the King of Hammers truck? We've got a design team. We got this lead designer, Rami, who's just so amazing. So he said, he comes up with stuff and it blows my mind. He pattern perfed the King of Hammers trail into the insert of the King oh, of Hammers Bronco. Awesome. So... The insert of the Bronco, uh, they only made a couple hundred of them. It's, it's got the trail and it's perforated into the interior of the seat. Um, you know, the trail, this truck's going to be able to go down. And I just thought that I, we're doing stuff like that all the time, but that one was really cool. I, I'll tell you, um, I'll tell you one, Jesse. So we had Ian Lane on. Um, so 2023 man, same a person of the year. Sorry, ladies. He beat you too. Um, and we had him on it. He, we did his, uh, Bronco. Uh, we built it for SEMA, uh, what, two years ago, I think, for boosting. And he had he had watched that movie Fandango, old movie with Kevin Costner. It was around the Big Ben trail and everything. And so I said, he let, you know, he's like talking to me about what he wants to do. This is, I said, well, whatever we do, we got to make this thing look good. We put a leather in it. So we wrapped the dash in mahogany. And I'm a big mahogany fan, as you can tell by my headphones. But so I had Catskin make this mahogany leather and it had nice two-tone piping and had the hex stitch in it, you know, and uh, two-tone stitching and it had fandango, fandango uh, embroidered on the back seat back and everything like that. So anyway, I love it. I think it looks beautiful and everything like that. So he gets this vehicle, right? And he put so much time and effort. We built a lot of it. He, he designed like the wheels and he wanted to mount a certain way and he wanted the flares to be a certain way. And he wanted this graphic pattern and he spent hours and hours and hours and hours. And he, he had so many compliments and people always said, oh, wow, I really like that interior. Oh, I, he would get so pissed every time. 
he texted me, he's like, the one thing that everybody loves about this Bronco is the cat's gonna carrier that you put in it. I was like, dude, it's what sets that thing apart. So to this day, he's still like that. I do all this work and I drive this around. It can do all these off off roading things, but it's got this leather in it that everybody likes. <laughs> That's hey, awesome. Ron, what was the what was maybe the funniest or the most bizarre or the strangest thing that's happened to you in your business? Now, you've had a long career. I'm sure you could come up with something weird. You got anything funny, bizarre, well, di- strange, different? Well, the first thing that come to my mind, I really can't <laughs> say on the podcast. <laughs> Remember, <laughs> Jesse, he goes and visits restylers, and then they go out to dinner and or drinks after, and then they have a catskin party uh, every year at CEO. So. There, the what you're asking is really not allowed. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I'll, I'll give you a. I'll give you a strange. Somebody fell in the pool at the casket right? party. Yeah, so, so well, we can't that's nail happened down a couple that. times. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're pretty infamous for our parties at SEMA. We've uh, uh, we've been running our parties from uh, at SEMA consecutively. Um, every year except when SEMA didn't work since 2000. And, you know, whoever, whoever, whoever's um, been, whoever and, to this, they may not realize this. You know, we have a lot of very people in the industry, so this is a good time to tell them because the authorities aren't going to be able to hear this. So, and so tell Jesse, what, how do you, so Jesse, you, when you, when you're, when you're catskin and you rent or you, you know, for the weekend uh, or the week, however long you guys rent at the Elvis room at the top of the, at the Westgate, which is the largest hotel room in Las Vegas. It's amazing. It's beautiful. But usually the Westgate is like, oh, if you want drinks, you use our drinks. So, Ron, go ahead and fill the, fill the children in on uh, how my boy here pulls off a epic party that everybody comes to since 2001. Well, you know, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to point out that Caskin does everything we can do to be fiscally responsible. Disclaimer, Tim, he said it. <laughs> Uh, no, but seriously, I mean, th- you tried to throw the you tried to throw a party for a thousand restyling uh, professionals, and uh, and buy all of the uh, tequila from the Westgate Resort would be um, uh, <laughs> prohibitive, shall we say? Even Elvis can't afford <laughs> what, that. What, so, yeah. So we we always um, we always rent a couple of big big uh, three row SUVs and take them down to the liquor store and. Uh, pr- Provide our own bar setup uh, yeah. for the for the hotel, um, but uh, but no, I mean it's it's allowed us to throw that party uh, and be re- responsible. I mean we do a lot of things to be fiscally responsible, we really do. But that one is that one's kind of infamous in the industry because we uh, yeah we do whatever it takes to make that party happen. And uh, there's uh, there's the parties party is among the highlights of my year every year because you know the really cool thing about that party is. For years and years and years, we take big customers out to dinner and we do the things you do in Vegas and all that stuff. Um, but you couldn't pay attention to the hundreds of smaller customers that, you know, you may get five minutes in the booth or 30 minutes in the booth with them or something, but you couldn't really show your appreciation. And those guys are working hard. Um, and when we throw these kind of parties uh, where we can invite everybody, they so appreciate it. And I've got some big customers now that were really small and they're like, you couldn't believe you guys were welcoming us up to the Elvis suite, uh, you know, drink till we dropped and, uh, and have a good time. And, uh, and so that's, uh, and I've heard a lot of customers got a lot of great business ideas out of that meeting. 
Um, well, the networking. I, I, some of my best memories of networking at SEMA is at the Catskin party. When you're talking to another guy, you know, you may not bump into these people at the show. The show is so large. You know, what's the chances you're going to happen to be in the same booth at the same time? But you're at the party and you talk to, hey, what's been going on this last year, this, that, and successes or new people. And there's so many people from outside, just restylers that are part of the industry that still come to this thing. It's crazy. But... Well, and you're a great networker because Josh figures out how to get everybody to come to him. I mean, what he does when he comes to the parties, he goes back yes. to Elvis's bedroom. He pulls out the yes. um, robe, um, you know, d dismounts the clothes, puts the robe on, and then comes back out. Everybody wants, and Josh is, so, you know, So funny, funny story about that, Jesse. So Ian and I are together, right? And, you know, Ian's never done a leather interior, but I said, listen, it's the best thing on your Bronco. You want you to come to this party. So he comes to the party, and... We go, to, we're like, okay, we got to go find these ropes because, you know, if you're going to be at the Elvis room, I mean, you might as well walk around like a baller. And so we go, we put the robes on and there's a security guard now, whatever, but there, the security guard only has like one arm. Okay. And, but he's a big dude. And he goes, you need, you guys need to put those robes back. And I just look up at him. I'm like. I mean, and I know it was going through Ian's mind. Like, we can run. I think even if he tackled us, he's only going to get one of us with one arm. But we said, but it's one, it's one big, big arm. arm. Probably could have really us. big we arm. Probably could have taken him. But you know, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. It's Ron's party. Anyway, I said, you know what? We will put these back in twenty minutes. And he just smiled and goes, "All right." <laughs> and he lets us out. We were back like. An hour later or something like that. I lost track of time. But anyway, uh, we did put them back too. So so hopefully you were not charged for those robes. <laughs> All right, let's talk about uh, um let's talk about pro because one thing I found out this week, Jesse. So Ron is he's this is his second stint on pro. Um and he, you know, being on the select committee, I should say. And uh he run he actually runs one of the uh, task force for uh, SASP, also the, um, once we get into the auto shows, back into that, he kind of runs that. But what I found out is Catskin was one of the uh, founding manufacturers. I mean, so the restylers had their group of the startup pro, but they needed buy-in for everybody. And Catskin in 1992 uh, was one of the, Catskin was on board pretty quick back then as far as being a part of pro. So tell us, Ron, why are you guys part of pro? Why do you personally do it? And what do you gain it? Well, we're a recycling based company. So I don't know if you're not going to be involved with the professional recycling <laughs> organization, that seems a little silly. But Good um, point. the, uh, uh, yeah, you know, for, for me, it's, it's just been something I, I love working with restylers and doing things to make the business better. I started um, in pro back like right when I was starting in the in the business with uh, Catskin, like in 0102. Um, I, I joined the select committee. I was elected to, to get involved with that. And the thing we were working on then that I was so proud of was ASC testing for leather interior installation and sunroof installation. So we kind of were validating our um, our proficiency and all that. So that was you know a huge thing I worked on. And I turned out of pro uh after that and then i had some people who worked for me that were great that kind of kept cats involved uh with pro and were great and then they said hey you want to come back and i said well come back um and so i ran for it and they uh they graciously let me back on a couple of years ago and uh so now we're working on restyler education but 
it's, you know, using SEMA's money to do things to make our business better, trying to fight for our share of, uh, of that SEMA pie of money. In, in all honesty, not buttering them up. Josh was huge in fighting for the restyling industry to get our fair share of the funds because, you know, the restyling business is not like the founding part of SEMA. You know, it was started by the gear hall, the race car drivers, and, you know, the people who've been in you know, the Edelbrocks and the Hollies and all these people. And hey, I love them. I mean, I, I'm a, you know, Detroit kid who loves hot rods. Don't get me wrong. But um, they were getting a disproportionate share of the funds from what was coming out of SEMA. And Josh fought tooth and nail to get more funds into the restyling side of it. And, uh, and so now I'm kind of seeing how, you know, how accomplished it was with that. And now we're working on things to get the restyling out into the auto shows. Started the, uh, the Pro Cup Challenge, uh, where we create these great vehicles that can be replicated on dealer lots. Um, I mean, it's, a, it's always a great group of people putting some time in. It's not that much time. Um, a couple hours a month, usually, you know, you put, to, unless you're, you know, president or whatever they call the leader of it. Um, but, you know, they spend, they spend a little bit more time. But, you know, for the dozen of us or so that are on the select committee, we take one or two, you know, key items and we get together once a month and talk about things overall and what, what should we be working on? Everybody gives a little status update, but it's, it's great. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I love the networking. I love being around people. I love staying in touch with, I like working with the restylers part of it more than yeah. the manufacturer part of it. Um, it's, it's just kind of me, but, uh, but yeah, I think we got I some mean, good things uh, coming. So. We have a, we have a great core now too. So Colby and Kevin are doing a great job. So, but people like Ron, you know, it gets lost that there's really 15 other people that are really behind this scenes, making sure all this happens. So it's really cool. Thank you for all your volunteering help. It's awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for all you did. I'm not man. dead I mean, yet, you, Ron. You were, I mean, well. thank you for, it's not, you know, what, is that what you're going to say? My I funeral. Mean, Thanks for all you did. I'm not dead. We're still fighting. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. He knows. Hey, you are a shoo-in for lifetime I'm not that old, dang the it. Work on <laughs> I told Prosser last year, just because you won lifetime achievement, just because you're the first person in the last three years that's been alive to win it, <laughs> doesn't mean you have to go away anytime soon. Stick around, buddy. Uh, Ron, uh, I would like to hear a little bit about uh, how you approach marketing and sales for Catskin because you've got an important role with that, right? So, what strategies have you guys been most successful with? What are you What are you doing in terms of business development at Catskin? Um, gosh, that's that's it's kind of my life. Um, it's uh, I think it's just hustle. It's uh, coming up with new um, new exciting things that are going to help restylers market to dealers and dealers market to end users. There's a lot of new things in the works right now as the whole dealer side of the business is evolving. Um, you know, a lot more of the initial customer interaction is happening online behind the scenes um, through business development centers and on websites and more digital tools where that may have happened in the past at an initial walk of the lot at the dealership by a customer. They may be doing a lot more of that early research online they're still taking delivery at the dealership primarily or finalizing their purchase there. But we used to get introduced a lot earlier um, because we were, you know, we were forefront in their profit picture and we had stock units on the lot. 
So we're working really hard right now to get integrated into those tools so that Catskin gets known um, by the consumers as early as possible in the development cycle. So that's a, that's an important part is, you know, we spent millions and millions and millions of dollars over each year for multiple years here to make more consumers aware of our product. We've probably tripled or quadrupled the, the consumer awareness of the category over the past couple of years. So it, part of that is driving the consumer into the dealership and, uh, and making it easier for our restylers to sell. Um, and then just, you know, listening and doing things right. Um, I don't have any, you know, big far flung, what's the business going to look like in 2026 things. I mean, I'm, I'm working on what's going to happen in two weeks and how are we going to get restylers, um, to focus on selling cat skin and what kind of great advantages can I give them that'll make them want to promote and sell my product, um, to their customers. And, uh, you know, that, that's the big thing. And how can we be more supportive of our customers' retail efforts themselves? A lot of our customers have invested heavily in retail as they had to change their business over the pandemic. You know, really five, seven years ago, a lot of restylers weren't yeah. very retail focused. And a lot of them have a lot of effort on retail now. Um, and so my part of my thing is how can I support your retail? But also don't forget about the wholesale. <laughs> there's a there's a real need to keep the volume at a certain level so that we can all be successful and that wholesale opportunity is still there so i'm trying to do a lot of things um but it's all it's all restyler centric customer centric um stuff how do we get in front of the customer how do we make it easier for the restyler if you like if that. you had to give some advice to somebody just starting out and and restyling what what would you what would you tell them um Maybe they don't carry catskin yet. I would tell them it's, a, it's an awesome industry yeah. if you're willing to put in the work. Um, there's uh, This is not an industry where you're not going to be able to be successful without working your butt off. Um, and uh, the other thing, you know, the thing that's been really good for me, I learned, I got taught day one of this business and uh, was just be honest with everybody. You know, when, when something bad happens, um, address it, take care of it, go over above and beyond to make it right. Um, people in this business are are very forgiving if you just tell them your circumstances and, and you work through it and uh, we figure out a way to be successful. But so, yeah, I would tell them to uh, don't be tricky about it. Don't be devious. Don't go out and just try to cut price and do, you know, figure out how cheap you can do something. Go out and do it right. Be the best at it, and uh, and focus on focus on what you can handle. Um, so that's uh, I, I don't know. No, if that's it's the wrong answer. That... That's say. <laughs> <laughs> but we're gonna let it pass because you know you're a, you are a legend. Ron, how do how do people get a hold of you or find out more about what you do? Uh, if if people are curious about Catskin, what what websites do they go to, and how do they how do they get a hold of you? Right. So uh, Catskin actually has two websites that we can mention on this uh, on this venue. So Catskin.com is retail. I mean, that's where consumers interact with the company. We have a different site called CatskinToolbox.com that's focused on the wholesale side of the business. So um, we build tools in there that restylers can use to find trim line walks, to go through a vehicle configurator, design your own tool, 
that doesn't try to accost you and sell you at the end of it, like we would do on our retail side. Um, and then, you know, my contact information hasn't changed in 27 years. So, I mean, it's Ronell at catskin.com and my mobile number is in everything that, you know, we do. So reach out to me, reach out to any of my 15 great salespeople we have. Uh, we try to be very, very accessible. Uh, we try to listen, like I said, and, um, you know, we're trying to work hard. So that's awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. Any last no, words there, no. Josh? Thanks, Ron, for being here. You, you really are have, you've taught me personally a lot about this business over the years and, uh, we're just happy to have you around and I'm glad you're only 50 because that means I can keep stay pace with you for a while and you're not leaving because I don't want you to be out of here before I'm out of here. So <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah, we got a few yeah, more cats parties. parties. To go to, yeah. I will see you in a robe next November. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, fellas. Thanks, I'll Ron. Be there. Awesome. So, yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate it, Ron. All right. Take care, guys. That was great. And there you have it. Another high-octane episode of the Ride and Style podcast. Revved up and ready to go. Your hosts, Jesse Stoddard and Josh Polson, shifted your automotive game into overdrive. If you're hungry for more insights, trends, and game-changing interviews from the automotive restyling universe, don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a glowing review. We'd also love for you to share this podcast with your gearheads, installers, and auto lovers network. Because remember, knowledge is power, but shared knowledge turbocharges the whole industry. For more expert resources to supercharge your business, cruise on over to autostylemarketing.com, your one-stop shop for everything automotive marketing. Until next time, keep those wheels spinning and your passion ignited. Thank you for riding in style with us. See you on the next lap.